0: As we go, how many brought your Bibles today? Open with me to Psalm 73. How many of you know a sermon doesn't have to be eternal to be divine? Last time I was in Alaska two years ago, my father passed away. I was actually up in a village and found out on Facebook. Uh, by connecting an iPad to a local school. That's how I found out that my father had passed away. I had just gone over uh, to the school with permission. Uh, It was the only place in the village where I could get information from my office and communicate with our staff. And uh, actually found out my father had passed away on Facebook, barely made it home uh, for the funeral. But you know, my dad always told us uh, that you don't have to preach forever to get the work of the Lord done. I love the story of a pastor that was long-winded. Some preachers have a tendency to be long-winded, and his wife thought she had found the perfect cure. Years ago, when they started making those bigger lifesavers, the jumbo ones, she put one in his pocket, and she told him, when you start preaching, put that in your mouth, and when that dissolves, that'll be a good time for you to quit. You'll know that you've preached about 20 minutes or so, and that'll be a good opportunity. When that lifesaver's gone, call it quits. And You know, that worked out perfectly until one Sunday morning he reached into an old suit pocket and put a button in his mouth by accident and church went on for a long, long time. But I'm going to do my best to give you the lifesaver version this morning and not the button. I want to make a pledge to you as a congregation. First of all, I pledge to you that in every service I'll preach the gospel. I pledge to you that in every service I'll start in the Bible, I'll stay in the Bible, I'll finish in the Bible. I promise you that every service I'll give an invitation that'll be clear. I want to promise you that I'll never embarrass anybody that you bring. You can bring anybody from the highest office in this state to the homeless. And I promise you that I'll not embarrass your guests. I also promise you that I'll pray every day for the services and for your family and for these covenants. And then I want to promise you that there'll be no financial pressure at all. The ministry that uh, God blessed us with, Lost Lamb Association, uh, our ministry, if you're not familiar with it, our goal, quote, independence upon God, our goal is to lead one million people to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been doing that for 37 years. It's all I've ever done. I've been in over 40 countries of the world and five continents. We've been in multiple villages. I'm happy to tell you that we're not a taker, we're a giver. Our ministry has invested well over $100,000 in Alaska, in the villages, in the humanitarian projects. Almost every village I've gone into, we find out everybody in the village, 18 and under, and we bring warm clothes. Uh, We've brought in extra uh, provisions for babies and children because sometimes it's the innocents that suffer in lives of sin school supplies, backpacks, I mean a long list of things, and I'm not independently wealthy. It's the people that have stood by this ministry and have helped us to be able to do that here in Alaska. So I want to promise you that every night when they receive an offering for Lost Lamb, there'll be no financial pressure. I'll, I'll take a moment after, by the way, I'm going to be singing tonight. Many of you know that we sing for the sake of time. I didn't this morning, but tonight my friend Justin Bieber's coming in to sing back up along with Carrie Underwood and... Lord, I apologize for that in Jesus' name. <laughs> now, we'll, we'll, we'll be plugged in and ready to rock and roll tonight. So I, I think some people will enjoy the music. But uh, I promise you that after the last song, I'll take your guest off the hook. And what I mean by that is every night after my last song, I'll say, if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, when they receive an offering for Lost Lamb, you're my special guest. Whoever invited you, didn't invite you to be a blessing to the ministry of lost lamb i hope that while i'm here i can be a blessing to you but i am going to ask you this i'm going to ask you not to give traditionally or religiously while i'm here i'm going to ask you to give biblically what's the difference well oftentimes when an offering is received people just reach into their pocket without any thought or without any prayer without any leading of the spirit they just give something well i call that traditional giving that does not have the greatest blessing that God gives on on giving any more than a farmer that just walks around with a blindfold on throwing seed but I'm going to ask you to just be prayerful and purposeful in your giving and if you do that you really only have to give one time and by that the Bible says people should give by the leading of the Spirit and so just pray this week say Lord what would you have us to sow in the lost lamb? not one penny of what you give is going to myself or family We're on a set salary controlled by a board of directors. Your giving helps us in ministry and outreaches. We just finished a crusade in Pavas. I'll show you some video of that while we're here. Uh, Over 25,000, 30,000 people a night. Thousands of first-time decisions for Christ every night. Never took an offering one time in that massive crusade. Cost close to $70,000 to do that particular crusade. How does that get done? It gets done because God's people give prayerfully. That's all I ask while I'm here. Just sometime this week will you just pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to sow into the ministry of lost lamb? And then be obedient to the Lord. And I promise you, if you'll do that, that God will bless you. Some of you, God has blessed you in a significant way. I unashamedly ask you to pray about sowing a significant seed to help us with these worldwide crusades and even village outreaches, and wherever we go, God will bless you for it. Let's get right into the Bible. I'm speaking today on the subject, four things that God does not know. Now, I know some of you, that just causes you to perk up and say, we're about to hear heresy. No, you're not going to hear heresy. I'm going to take you into the Bible today, and I want to show you four things that God does not know. Now, some of you that have very analytical minds, you've already thought, how can he tell us four things God doesn't know? Because that means he has to know four things God doesn't know. And how can he know four things God doesn't know if God doesn't know it? (laughs) So before the steam starts coming out of your ears, let's begin. One verse of Scripture out of Psalm 73, verse 11. The New Living Translation says, What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what is happening? In the King James Version it says, And they say, How does God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High? Let's pray. Father, we never open up the Bible without an awareness that it's sacred. And the truth of God is sacred and holy and powerful. And without the anointing and the wisdom of God to help us, we can do nothing. But through Christ, you said, we can do all things. My prayer today is that you would speak to every heart, every life, to every listener. We not only pray for those that are present here in this sanctuary, but we pray for those who are viewing today and will be viewing this week online. Let the power and the anointing of the truth of God reach into their hearts. My prayer is that not one person would walk out of any of these services without a knowledge in their heart. If the Lord were to come today, I'm ready to go. And Father, if they're not certain, if they're backslidden, if they're away from the Lord, if something in their life has pulled them away from that conviction and covenant, I pray that you'd give them the courage today to come back to the Lord We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. For those of you that like to take notes, number one, the first thing God does not know. God does not know of a sin that He does not hate. Now I'm not going to beat you up with the Bible, and I know that that might be pretty strong, but it's a Bible truth that cannot be ignored. God said in the Bible, I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. God has not changed his positions on sin in the 21st century. God does not wait up at night to see what the Supreme Court is going to decide about law. He has written divine laws and no puny men have the right to shake their fist in the face of a holy God and make a change. You would do well to know the laws of God and abide by them because they bring peace and order to your life. But when you ignore the laws and the orders of God in Scripture, don't be surprised if your bucket starts to get holes in it and before you can get the water back to home, it's all gone. Number one, God does not know of a sin that He does not hate. Now, the obvious question, glaringly, is Why does God hate sin? Why is he not softening on the issue? Why has he been so harsh on the subject of sin in the Bible? Why did God actually say, I hate sin? Only a handful of times the word hate is translated in the King James and other versions. Why would God say about sin, I hate it? Well, the reason God hates sin is because sin destroys what he loves best. That's you and that's me. The Bible said you were created in the image of God. You were not created for sin. You were not created for addiction. You were not created for failure. You were not created for heartache. You were not created for abuse. You were not created to be somebody's lonely pill. You were not created for inferiority. You were created in the image of God and in every human being, no matter how despondent that life might be, there is a grain of greatness inside of you because you were created in the image of God. But sin destroys that very purpose. I told the first congregation, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to waste any time this week being politically correct. Amen. My father, who's gone on to be with the Lord, who is a great preacher, always said, love people enough to tell them the truth. Amen. My father said, every time you stand in the pulpit, make sure you take your Bible and your backbone. Amen. Some people take the Bible but leave the backbone in the office. If there ever were a time in America that we needed men and women of God that would be firm enough and loving enough to stand in the sacred desk and say, Thus saith the Lord, without wavering, we need it in America now. Can you say a big praise God? God God hates sin because it will destroy you. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's something we all have in common. Not one person here today could stand up and say, I've never sinned. Not one person here today could stand up and say, I've never fallen short of the glory of God. Not one person here today or anywhere in Alaska could stand up and say, I've never broken one of the Ten Commandments. If you're here today and you have never sinned, please stand up. We'd like to see the biggest liar in the house. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect congregation. This may startle you, but there's no such thing as a perfect preacher. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why to have faith in God, you've got to build your life upon the principles of God and not upon people because people fail, but God never fails. He hates sin because it destroys everything that it touches. Romans chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God has been with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn, pause right there. Some of you are not right with God, not because you're unsavable, but because you're stubborn. Some of you have been attending the church for a while, and it's not that you're unsavable, you're just stubborn. But to get right with God, you're going to have to crawl over stubborn. You're going to have to crawl over pride. You're going to have to crawl over all your religious hang-ups and get to the cross as fast as you can because nobody within the sound of my voice is unsavable. No one within the sound of my voice is unredeemable. You were made in the image of God and the seeds of greatness are in you waiting to come to life and the life is in the power of the cross. He said, but because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's a God of judgment. One day you'll meet God. You'll either meet Him as your heavenly Father or you'll meet Him as your eternal judge. I highly recommend the first. But make no mistake, the Bible says a day of judgment is coming on this earth. I'm going to be preaching on prophecy this week, and I'm going to cover it in detail one night. The Bible says there's coming a seven-year period of time. The Bible calls it the Great Tribulation. It will happen immediately after the world surrenders to a one-world government, headed up by a man the Bible calls Antichrist. We're going to cover that in detail on Wednesday night when I show you that the Antichrist is alive and well today. But the Bible says that when he's revealed, one of the first things that he'll do politically is he'll be the first politician, the Scripture says, who will be able to successfully draw up a peace treaty with Israel. That's in the Bible. Why is it that for the last umpteen years you have watched every single politician in our government do their best to orchestrate a peace treaty with Israel, but all have failed? John Kerry just recently made what he believed would be a successful attempt to draw up a peace treaty with Israel, but it failed. Why? because the Bible says there's a politician called the Antichrist, and until he comes, no one will ever be successful in that peace treaty. But The Bible says that when he comes, that there's going to be an event called the rapture of the church. A seven-year span of time will begin called the Great Tribulation. Three and a half years into that seven-year period, the Bible said the Antichrist is going to break his treaty with Israel. And a persecution worse than Hitler's is going to come upon the Jewish people. There's a reason why in the last decade you've seen not only a rise of terrorism, a rise of radical Muslims, people that are hating Jews, standing on the UN floor saying, calling Jews monkeys, which is the worst slander to their people that can be imaginable in their eyes, publicly on the UN floor, one after another, calling the Jews monkeys and saying, we will exterminate them from the face of the earth. How did that happen? How is history repeating itself and setting itself up? I'll tell you why. Because sin destroys everything it touches. And the Antichrist is going to release a judgment. The Bible says when he breaks that peace treaty with Israel, that three and a half year period, that last three and a half years, the Bible says the wrath and the anger of God will come upon this planet. Jesus said if God had not shortened that time to three and a half years, no one could survive. This week when I preach on prophecy, I'll take you into the Bible. Over a third of the planet is going to be destroyed in a matter of months. The Bible says it's going to happen through nuclear war. The Bible says it's going to happen through a worldwide plague. And the Bible tells us that certain judgments in a short amount of time, over three, maybe two and a half, three billion, depending upon counts of this earth's population will disappear. How severe will that wrath be? The Bible says every mountain will be destroyed. Every island will sink into the sea. What is it that'll be so cataclysmic on this planet that that type of judgment will hit the planet? The Bible says there'll be a storm where they'll weigh hailstones that'll weigh in excess of 75 pounds. Can you imagine a hailstorm where the sky rains hailstones 75 pounds? Now there have been major hailstones that have been documented that are large, but none quite that large. I don't care what kind a wax you've got on your car to protect its finish. (laughs) The Bible says there's coming a day of judgment. So let me love you enough this morning to tell you that you're living in the last days of time and things are happening exactly as the Bible said and you need to get ready to meet the Lord. The Bible said because you're being stubborn, you're staring up a day of judgment wrath and judgment that's coming. Verse 6, He'll judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers, but He will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Are you living for yourself? Is your existence in a nutshell you? Your life, your car, your job, your money, your pleasure, your pursuit, your guns, your toys, your life, your closet, you, you, you. You weren't created for that. It's the nature of sin that makes a person selfish and self-centered. But the nature of God, God said, I'm not only going to bless you. When you live by the principles of God, God said, I'm not only going to bless you and give you the desires of your heart, I'm going to make you a blessing to other people. But God said, because you live for yourself and refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning. The Bible said in the book of Proverbs, the way of the transgressor is hard. Have you met people whose faces are hardened by a life of sin? I met a lady not long ago. I'll not mention where. But I was told she had lived a hard life and I heard her story. You know, she grew up that way. She never knew any better. Didn't know the Lord. No one had ever brought her to Christ. Just inherited that life, but it got bad. Got addiction and got suicidal. But when they told me how old she was, I kid you not, she looked 20 to 30 years old older than what her actual age was the Bible said the way of the transgressor is hard the Bible says there's pleasure in sin preachers lie when they preach that sin is hard and they don't tell the rest of the story the Bible said there's pleasure in sin for a season Hebrews chapter 11 there's pleasure in sin don't fool yourself There are some sinners in the infancy of their sin who are having more fun in their sin than you're having in your salvation. I've met a lot of Christians that don't understand the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength. It seems like the sadder they are, the more miserable they are, the more spiritual they think they are. How are you doing today, sister? Oh, it's been a hard old week, glory to God come to church with their lower lip rolled out so far you could roll a biscuit on it. Whining, down, sad, angry, bitter. Looked like they were weaned on pickle juice. No, God intended you to have joy in your life. God intended for your life to have purpose. But we lie to sinners if we tell them that sin is always hard because the Bible said in Hebrews eleven twenty-five 25, there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the devil always hooks you with something that is seductive. The devil will never try to destroy you with something that's like a horror movie. He doesn't try to bring something into your life that's ugly and frightening and scary and repulsive. The devil will always introduce something into your life that's pleasurable to you. The devil knows the natural tendencies of your flesh and he'll always appeal to your seduction. And 95% of what the devil will give to you is going to be enjoyable to start. It's kind of like fishing. You go out on these boats get out into the Alaskan waters. Let's go get some halibut. Make sure you bring the herring. Why? Because that's what halibut actually eat. You get on that boat and the captain on the boat takes a complete piece of herring, puts a small little circle hook through it, lowers it to the bottom. 95 plus percent of what that halibut eats is what he normally eats. He likes it herring is on the menu, I think I'm going to go get me some. And when he bites into it, and you feel it, and you set the rod, the hook then is in the jaw. Though 95% of what the halibut bit was the real deal, there was a little thread of wire in it called a hook. And that little bit of hook turned that halibut from a normal meal to being fried at the local restaurant. That's exactly what the devil does with sin. He doesn't introduce sin to you as repulsive and ugly. He'll always send something your way that's seductive. He'll always send something your way that looks like it fills the void. But as soon as you get it into your system, he'll give you, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, a pleasure season. But when the hook is in and it's deep, And it's solid. The devil sets the rod. And you're fried, my friend. Because James 1.15 says, Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It always starts as pleasure, turns to pain, but it'll turn to a penalty. And James 1.15 says, Sin has a lifespan. And when it's finished, it brings forth death. Brother that I introduced earlier that said that he gave his heart to the Lord when my brother was, my son was here in October. Ask him sometime if sin was destroying him. Ask him about how it turned from pleasure to pain to penalty. Ask him how it almost destroyed his life. Ask him about how it went to a place of being uncontrollable. Ask him about dysfunction. And you wouldn't just have to ask him. Ask many of your family. Ask maybe the person sitting on your left or on your right. Sin is something God hates because it destroys everything that it touches. Number two, God does not know of a sinner that he doesn't love. Wait a minute. That's contradiction. How can you say God hates sin and then turn around and tell us he doesn't know of a sinner that he doesn't love? Four things God doesn't know. Number one, he doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. Number two, he doesn't know a sinner that he doesn't love. How is that possible? I'll tell you why. Because it's two separate entities in the eyes of God. Just like somebody you love that may have a terminal disease. And the doctor says, I hate to tell you, but your mother has cancer. Now, cancer is is a disease that lives inside your mother, but it's not your mother. And you may grow to hate cancer. But though you may grow to hate cancer, it doesn't stop you from loving your mother. Why? Because though it's in her, it's not her. That's how God sees sin. It's a cancer and a curse that's in our life. And the Bible said we were born that way. We were born with the curse of sin. The Bible says that when Adam sinned in the garden, wherefore by the sin of one man... Sin became a part of human nature. It's like a computer program that's inside you. You don't have to teach children how to sin, you don't have to teach a child to lie. Within minutes after learning to talk, they'll become proficient liars. With a perfect poker face. A little grandbaby will look you in the eye and tell you the most whopper of a tale and never blink and look at you like you're stupid for not believing it. Did you wet your bed? No, I didn't wet my bed. Last night when I was sleeping, this guy broke the window, came in, threw a bucket of water on the bed, jumped right back out, closed the door. I can't believe it. Sin nature is in us. And you don't have to teach people how to sin. It's a part of your nature under the curse. The Bible says we were all born with it. You see, that's why I constantly tell people there has to be a time in your life when you get right with God. Because until you personally and publicly make your commitment to Christ by faith, the Bible says that curse is incurable. There's only one thing that breaks the curse of sin. The Bible said in Romans chapter 4, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not just a day of Roman torture and execution. The Son of God became the penalty and the offering to break the curse of sin. There has to be a day when you understand that. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Jesus didn't have attitude with sinners. As a matter of fact, the religious elite of the day, it bothered them that Jesus was spending so much time with sinners. They actually said to his disciples, how come your master is eating and having fellowship with notorious sinners? Teed them off. They were ticked. Hey, if he's the son of God, we're the religious elite. Didn't he see the clothes we were wearing? Didn't he see our religious garb? Didn't he see the temple where we work? How come he's hanging out with sinners? Jesus overheard them and came to them and said, I'll tell you why. Because people that are healthy don't need a doctor. But those that are sick need a physician. And he said, as the son of God, I came to be a physician to help sick people. Jesus came to break your curse. Jesus came to break your addiction. He came to help you go from sin to success. But you've got to come to him by faith it's a gift it's like on christmas morning the gifts are under the tree and even though it's got your name on it there still has to be a time when you receive it by faith open it receive it and use it the bible says for by grace are you saved through faith not by your works it is the gift of god by coming to this altar and praying with me in just a minute yeah i'm going to give a public invitation I'm not one of those coward preachers breeding cowards. Jesus said, If you confess me publicly before men, that's what he said, Luke chapter 12, verse 8. He said, If you confess me publicly before men, I will confess you openly before my Father which is in heaven. You're never going to hear me say in this crusade. Now you can just sit in the parking lot after the service and After everybody's gone and no one's looking and the lights are off, just there in the dark, just bow your head where no one can see and Just whisper, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus said, if you confess me publicly. It takes courage to serve the Lord. If you can't kneel for Jesus in a church, you'll never stand for Jesus in the world. When I give the invitation, it's going to take humility to meet me at this altar. It's going to take courage and faith to meet me at this altar. But guess what? It takes faith and courage and humility to live for the Lord. Jesus is not creating followers. He's creating leaders. And the difference between followers and leaders is faith and courage and humility most of the time. Jesus died on the cross for you publicly. He's coming again publicly. Everybody Jesus called in the New Testament, he called them publicly every apostolic sermon in the book of Acts they called the people publicly there's something about doing it publicly that seals it and makes it sure because after today when you make your public commitment to Christ there'll never be another question mark in your heart you'll never ever have a question mark in your heart again if somebody asks you have you ever made a commitment to Christ say oh yeah I remember September 2015. Pastor invited this evangelist. I don't remember his name. He was big, ugly, and redheaded. But he took time to tell me the truth, and he took time to pray with me. And that day at an altar of prayer, I made peace with God. You'll never regret the day you make peace with God. Because when you come to Christ by faith, it literally, and you're not going to understand this in the infancy of your commitment to Christ, but it literally breaks the curse of sin. Jesus said either your father is God or your father is the devil. Talk about not being politically correct. Jesus evidently had never been given a copy of how to win friends and influence people. He literally told the crowd, not condemningly, but lovingly. He said, you need to know something. Today, either your father is God or your father is the devil. Jesus wanted people to know that there's no neutral. There's no in between. You're either living under the blessing of God or you're living under the curse of sin. There's no neutral. And a lot of what's not going right in your life is because of that curse of sin that's still working. But the forgiveness of God breaks the curse of sin. Number three, number one, God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. Number two, he doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. Number three, he doesn't know a salvation other than Jesus. There's no way to get right with God except through Jesus. Boy, does the world hate when preachers dare say that. You evangelicals are so narrow-minded. Let me tell you something. I didn't say it. I didn't say the only way to get right with God was Jesus. The Bible said it. Jesus said it. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Well, That just seems wrong. Really? If you were dying of a disease and they got you to the hospital. I just did a crusade in Central America. When I got there, they said, by the way, you'd do well to kind of study this chart here. There's 23 of the most venomous snakes in the world here where you are at. I was aware of one of them called the fair de lance, which is French for tip of the spear, the most A venomous snake in the world, by some standards, some say the black mamba in Alaska, either way, if they bite you, it's not going to be a good day. But what if you were on vacation and got bit by a venomous snake and they took you to a hospital? The doctor said, I have good news. There's only one antidote for that snake, and we have a vial of it here. Would you say, no, sir, I'm not going to take it? No, I'm not going to be that narrow-minded. Don't tell me there's only one way. I have a master's degree from Harvard University. We're a little more thoughtful where I come from. Don't be narrow-minded with me. Until you have three or four cures, I'm just going to sit here and die. It's just that stupid for people who get mad when the Bible says there's only one way to God. Why did God only give us one way? Because that's all you need. You were wanting something from the original Hebrew deep, long, difficult to understand. When you're dying in sin, there's a cure that works. That's all you need. The Bible said the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. The cross is a cure-all. Christ is a cure-all. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a way among ways. He didn't say, I am a truth among truths. He didn't say, I am a life among many notable religious teachers in history. He said, I am the life. And no one gets to God except through the cross. Why? Because God is holy. The Bible said that the angels of the Lord walk in the mountains of the Lord. Some, their only assignment is a musical rendition. You'll never understand till we hear it in heaven. But the Bible says they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God by nature is holy. We by nature are sinful. And the sinfulness of man separates us from the holiness of God. But when Christ died on the cross... He put one hand on the hand of the Father when it nailed to that beam. He took the other hand and held on to humanity. And the Bible said in Hebrews, as he hung there, he became the mediator between man and God by blood covenant. Jesus is the only way. Now, for those of you who have a difficult time accepting that Jesus is the only way, your newspaper this morning said so. How many of you read the big paper here in Wasilla? Right there in the headlines, it pointed to Jesus. You missed it. The very date at the top of your newspaper every day tells you that Jesus is special, tells you that he's unique, tells you that he's different than every other man who ever lived. How does it say that? Because all of time is measured by the birth of one person. BC means before Christ. AD taken taken from the Latin ad Domini means in the year of the Lord our God all of measured time around the world is centralized on the life and the birth and the death of one person who Christ is it a coincidence that of all of the billions of people who have ever been born god just by accident had all of time center around the birth of his son You've got to ask yourself a question. The odds on that, my friend, are way too high. And there are many signs in life. I don't take the time this morning. I'm going to close. But there are many signs for the student of the Scripture where God proved and verified that His Son is the only way. He's the only one who was ever resurrected after being tortured and buried. No world leader, every world leader, every religious leader, every radical, every revolutionary of any system of belief in the world, you can go to their grave or to their ashes. But the tomb outside of Jerusalem is still empty the last time I was there. And by the way, for those of you who are students of the proof and the authenticity of Scripture, there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrected Christ after His death. In the records of history, over 500 witnesses. I'm not talking about Christians and followers. Many of them were unbelievers. But history tells us there were over 500 that witnessed him in his ascension to the Father. Stand to your feet with me, please. You said four things God doesn't know. That's only three. You're right. Four things God doesn't know, a sin he doesn't hate, a sinner he doesn't love, a salvation other than Jesus, number four, a schedule for salvation better than right now. You said, Tiff, you told us that you were going to start in the Bible, stay in the Bible, and finish in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that says I have to get saved in September in Wasilla. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, For God says at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. What a verse. When is the right time for a person to get right with God? The Bible said today. God said today is the day of salvation. The right time is now. Let me break that down for you. I could teach this to your children in Sunday school nobody makes a decision yesterday because yesterday's history nobody can make a decision tomorrow for tomorrow's hope decisions cannot be made in the framework of history and decisions cannot be made in the framework of hope decisions can only be made in the framework of now to get right with God you've got to do it when God speaks to your heart because if you say I'm going to do it tomorrow you take the now miracle and you put it into the hope of tomorrow and tomorrow's oftentimes never come there's no guarantee you're going to live to be 107. there's no guarantee you're going to take your next breath tomorrow earlier in the service I introduced Austin's mother The last time I saw her and her husband, she had her husband with her. Her husband today is in heaven. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He was not 105 when he died. But you know what? He was ready. He was at a normal day's work, had no idea that that day would be the last day of his life. And he was working and that quick he was gone but he was ready are you ready do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if the Lord were to come today that you'd be ready to go are you absolutely certain how can a person be certain let me ask you this and if you didn't hear anything else I said all morning don't miss this do you have a clear distinct memory of a time in your life where you've gotten down on bended knees in the presence of a holy God and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says all of sin. God, you know everything I've ever done. But God, today, I'm sorry for my sins. I want to be what you want me to be. And so today, I'm willing to repent of my sin and I don't want to be stubborn another day in eternity's morning, I don't want to face you as judge I, I want you to be my heavenly father so today by faith I trust in the cross I trust in what your son Jesus did on the cross will you forgive me and come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior from this day forward I want to live for you I, I want to I walk by the truth of the Bible. You need to teach me and help me because, God, I'm a little messed up and I don't know a lot about God or the Bible, but I, I want to do what's right. Father, will you help me come into my heart? Be my Lord and Savior. Some people call that the sinner's prayer. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the day you make that commitment and come to Christ, the Bible said you become a brand new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new when I give the invitation to ask you to make your commitment both personally and publicly I already told you, it'll take faith and courage and humility to come and to pray with me but you'll never regret the day you made peace with God you'll never regret the day that you broke the curse of sin in your life and listen, Joshua said in the 24th chapter, as for me and my house we will serve the Lord what a lot of people don't understand is that when you make a decision to come to Christ It literally begins to break the curse of sin in your family's name. Today you can make a decision that can change the course of your family. My dad passed away two years ago when I was here in Alaska. My dad was the first Shuttlesworth ever saved. He was saved at the age of 19. At his funeral, the very end of my father's funeral, they said all of the Shuttlesworths that are in full-time ministry come stand on the platform. I think there were just over 30 of us on the platform in full-time ministry. Because when my dad gave his heart to Jesus at the age of 19, our family doesn't come from royalty. We come from poverty. But when my dad came to Christ at the age of 19, he changed the destiny of our family name. He changed the destiny of our family, our blessing. Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the curse? Isn't it time that somebody stepped up for your family name and said, enough is enough? Isn't it time that somebody stood up in your family and said, no more addiction, no more alcoholism, no more abuse, no more dysfunction, no more poverty, no more disease, no more disaster? Because by coming to Christ, the blessing of God will break the curse of sin... And your life will be under new management. Your life will be under new management. And God will help you. I know somebody's listening to me. I feel it in my spirit. Somebody's listening to me. You don't know a lot about God. Very little. You know very little about the Bible. Somebody twisted your arm and got you to come. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now and you know it. Because you know this morning. You're not just listening to some preacher that's up here to have some religious Sunday service and we all go home to chicken dinner. You know in your heart of hearts that God sent a man to this pulpit today that loves sinners, that cares about your life. God cares about your life. Today's your day. Today's your day. So when I ask for those to come, I'm going to ask those of you that have the courage as I do everywhere I go, you be the first ones to come. Your courage will help some that don't have that same strength. Christian, if you have some with someone with you a friend a neighbor maybe you've invited someone maybe there's someone next to you that you don't know as people are gathering just kindly not forcibly just kindly turn to them and it'll take courage for you to do this but just turn to them and say i'll walk with you if you want to make that commitment i'll walk with you because if you're right with god you had to do it why don't you bring somebody with you today Some that are coming, it'll be your first commitment to the Lord. First time you've ever made a public commitment to Christ. But if you need to make a recommitment to Christ in our events, the altars are always open for people that need to come back home. I'm going to ask you to start coming right now, and we'll pray as they sing. that are here if you've not come I'm in no rush there's nothing more important on my schedule in Wasilla than you so if you're not here and you need to be here you come quickly but we're going to pray those of you that are here at this altar here's the promise of God it's not my promise it's God's promise God said all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you know what that means in the original Greek it means all everybody who prays and asks God for forgiveness he said all What does that mean in a practical way for you? It means there's nothing in your past. There's no sin in your life. There's nothing you've ever done that God can't forgive. The grace of God is greater than your past. So don't you think for a moment that you're too bad for God. God's bigger than your devil. And today you're going to leave it at the altar. And the Bible says when you come to Christ, you become a brand new person. You're not going to understand all of this this morning. With time, as you learn the truth of God and His Word, you'll learn. But the Bible literally says that God takes out of you a heart of stone and puts in you a heart of flesh. Holiness begins on the inside and works its way out. It doesn't start on the outside and work its way in. So when we pray, the only reason I'm asking you to pray with me is a lot of people that come to hear me. It's just the way God designed our ministry. But a lot of people that come to hear me don't go to church, don't know how to pray. It's all brand new. But prayer is just talking to God from a sincere heart. That's all prayer is. Don't make it theological and complicated. It's talking to God from a sincere heart. I don't have to ask you if you're sincere. You wouldn't have come forward if you weren't sincere. So when we pray, know this. When you pray with me from your heart, God, the Bible said, He tunes His ears. He tunes His ears to those who call on His name. God will hear your prayer. So let's pray together out loud and without shame. Dear Heavenly Father. Father. Today as I was listening to the Bible, you were speaking to me. Down deep in my heart, I don't want to live under the curse of sin. I want to live under the blessing of God. Sin came to destroy me but you came to give me life and divine purpose. So today I repent in childlike faith. I turn my back on sin and I turn my heart to Jesus. I thank you for dying on the cross and shedding your blood and for loving sinners. And this day, I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I vow to God this day, I'll live for you. Please help me in place of my weakness. Give me your strength. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. And lead me into my destiny. From this day forward, I am no longer the property of sin. I am today a child of God, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a mighty hand to praise today. That's awesome. As Brother Alex comes... Hold on just a moment. As Brother Alex comes, those of you that are at the altar, there's some prayer counselors. They're going to give you some literature. Take the time, listen carefully, take the time to please fill out your name and address because our ministry, the people that support our ministry, I want to send you a gift, a CD entitled Living the Christian Life. And when I say it's a gift, it's a gift. No postage, no handling, no strings attached. The people that stand by this ministry, we're committed not only to your decision, we're committed to your discipleship. This is not the end of what God's going to do with your life. It's just the beginning. So if you'd just be kind enough with that counselor uh, to leave that name and address where you'd like that ship, we'll get that to our office, and they'll get that out to you as soon as possible. Don't forget the service tonight. What time, Pastor Alex, again? Everybody say 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to take you into the Bible The first things, first covenant. It'll be a great blessing to you. We'll see you tonight in God's house.
1: Amen, amen. Pastor Vince, would you come? If I can, can you guys put your hands together one more time for these guys who made a commitment? As uh, Brother Tiff had just mentioned, we want to try and get your information. So if I can have my altar workers, if you guys here could please just follow Pastor Vince. He's going to lead you right in the lobby. We're just going to get your information from you, and we have a gift for you as well. If you just follow Pastor Vince right there. Everybody here in the altar. If you guys just follow Pastor Vince right here. Come on, put your hands together one more time for these guys. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise God. Isn't God good? We're going to take a moment to, uh, to bless the ministry of Tiff Shuttlesworth. He, he made a point to tell me today that, um, that he's on a fixed salary. And everything that you would give towards his ministry, it, it goes towards lost land ministry. And they really use it to, to see souls saved around the world. So if you feel that, uh, that you want to give today, there's like he said, there's no obligation. But if you'd like a, an envelope, just slip up your hand, Ushers, if you'd help me you'd like to give towards Lost Lamb Ministries, you also can do the same thing through PushPay. Write your checks out to King's Chapel, and we we write him one check at the end of uh, these meetings, and um, it goes towards Lost Lamb. So if you'd like to do it, just lift up your hand, and our ushers will help you out. And as Brother Tiff said, prayerfully consider. Gospel message never gets old, man. I was telling the first service... This message is just, it, it moves me and caused me to remember, well, it'll be 11 years this November 4th, but 11 years ago when I stood in a back room next to a freezer with Pastor Josh Morocco and decided to give my heart to Jesus, just an amazing commitment before the Lord and He, he just takes your life and does something amazing. I'm so thankful for all those people out there decided to give their hearts to Jesus. Praise God. Also, if you're interested, there's a product table out there with uh, Brother Tiff's stuff. If you'd like to stop by there, you can as well. Ushers, would you come? Let's take a moment to bless the ministry, the lost lamb. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment to to give towards this great ministry that is preaching the truth of the word. Thank you God for the salvations today. We pray, Lord, that there would be much more to come. We just give you praise, honor, and glory. Bless this ministry. Bless the ministry of Brother Tiff and his wife, God. Thank you, Lord, for them. We just ask that you continue to carry them, give them grace, Lord to go to the different places that you've called him to deliver the message. We just thank you for his willingness, his yes in his heart to say that I'll go, Lord, wherever you send me. I thank you, Lord, for him. Bless him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give it. Would you please invite someone tonight? Tonight is 6 p.m. and all throughout this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Come and join us. and Bring somebody with you. Don't forget to invite the seven that were on your list. We're going to believe for a mighty harvest to come in during this time. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. You do not want to miss it. So bring somebody with you. And let's close in prayer today. Father, we just thank you for the, the message brought forth today. Oh, Lord, how it's it's moved in our hearts. Thank you for the salvations that you brought here today. Come on, pray for your neighbor that God would use them this week to affect somebody. Lord, we pray that you would use us. Use this congregation. Lord. May we not just stand on the porch and tell the harvest to come into the barn, but may we go and labor in the field. I thank you, God, today that we have an opportunity, Lord, to share the gospel. You didn't take us to heaven the moment we received you because we have a work to do while we're here. And I thank you, God. Use this great congregation. Lord, bless us in team. Oh, cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us and give us peace. In the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You guys have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 6 p.m.